Let's start at the very beginning. Sure. Hello. Hello. And welcome to A Bell Chimes, a role-playing adventure podcast. I'm Morgan Rogers, one of your hosts. And today we'll be introducing uh, one of our adventurers before we get down to the adventuring. So, um, Oika, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, as Anka or as, as Oiku? Uh, well, as, as Oiku first. Um, you, you don't have to give your surname if you don't want that to be in the podcast. That's fine. Just first name and, and whatever you want to tell the audience about yourself. Yeah, like my character, I don't have a surname. Incredible. <laughs> I dropped my surname after, uh, after becoming a geodesist. <laughs> um, for context, uh, my my character uh, name is Anka, and she dropped the surname after joining uh, the Flat Taurus Circus. Of course. So yeah, I'm Oku. Uh, unlike the others, I'm not British. I'm not an English speaker. So in advance, I apologize for my grammar mistakes. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this thing during the second year of my PhD, at the, end of, at, the sec- at the end of my second year, basically. So <laughs> let's, let's hope <laughs> this will give me the space to distress. <laughs> How can people find you? Uh, so feel free to follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle is callmeboyk. Well, there is a backstory why it is called me Boyk, but yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, you've mentioned a little bit about your character, Anka. You've mentioned that she is a member of the Flat Taurus Earthers. Do you want to tell us a tiny bit about them? Yes, we believe that Earth is a bagel. Perfectly rational belief. And what does Anka look like in your mind? Not too tall, not too short, somewhere in the middle. Um, taller than me. <laughs> um, short hair, short red hair, um, with blue bits in it. And um, she carries... Um, Longbow with her um, all the time. Large shoulders because, you know, she's good at this, this stuff. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot of hard work to be a, a flat Taurus Earther. Yeah, she's wearing a very dark green uh, sleeveless top. And yeah, a, a big big belt and on the belt there is a bagel shaped uh, ah a bagel belt buckle big, yeah <laughs> bagel shaped buckle so um, Anka is held captive by some flat earthers who are transporting her back towards Maine 
where they happen to have a, a big base of operations for spreading the word about the true nature of the world and its dark underbelly. Your captors are three rather unpleasant flat earthers. They're unpleasant in different ways. The first has a permanent frown that makes him unpleasant to look at. The second has a rather unpleasant personality, which gives him a tendency to lash out despite his lack of wit. The third has the most unpleasant snore imaginable. So you and your three captors are passing through the small village of Dunkhurst, where the three have decided to stop for the night. And as you enter the village, you saw some posters lying around. Um, Some ripped off and thrown on the floor. Uh, One a little bit dishevelled, it's clearly been rained on, attached to a tree. And these posters read, The Crypt Diggers Need You, uh, with a rather handsome man pointing out of the image uh, at anyone looking at the posters. To see if these posters stir any memory, you can roll a wit check. Um, sure. Let's see, 2d6, and my modifier was 3, so 8. That's 3. Okay, well, an 8 total is unfortunately a failure. So, these posters, uh, the Crypt Diggers, hmm, that seems to ring a bell, but you can't quite place it. The ugly one says, Oi! What are you looking at? You know, that, that, that the flyer, obviously. You should be looking at the ground, like we told you. Come along. Why uh, will that make me be a flatwater? Maybe if you spend long enough looking at the ground, you'll realise that the only shape it could be is flat. <sighs> Right, right. Like your brain, yeah. I was about to say that tonight's your lucky night, and that you'd be staying in the hostel with us. But it seems that you've got a sharp tongue again. So we'll be leaving you outside in the cold. Sure, fine by me, as long as I'm not staying with you. I prefer being cold. The ugly one stomps a few paces ahead, uh, unable to come up with an adequate comeback to your stinging remark. It's only a few minutes later that you arrive at the hostel that was previously mentioned. And immediately adjacent to the hostel is a a barn, or a stable in fact, um, where there is one horse in residence and plenty of room for someone that doesn't deserve the respect of a of paid bed and board. So the the one who snores shoves you into the stable, uh, puts a few coins into the hand of the stable hand, 
uh, and then goes about tying you up by your wrist restraints um, to uh, one of the wooden posts in the barn. Are you going to do anything? Well, how how far um, how far is the horse? Can I go next to next to the horse? The horse is at the at the back of the stable. Um, the way from the length of rope that you have of where he's currently tying you, you can't reach the horse. Hmm. Can I make the horse come to me? But before that, I need to learn. I need to ask that how how they tied my hands, like because I have a plan, but. I don't know if... Okay, well, the current, obviously they don't let you have your longbow. They're carrying it along with your other possessions um, in, in their respective packs. Um, so, I mean, you're keenly aware of the location of, of your bow slung over the shoulder of the, the one who snores um, as he is tying your wrist restraint. And everything else is in the the pack of the um the foul-mouthed one. Let's go with that. Mm. Oh, what the fuck? Uh, I wanna give it a go. Um well so Anka reaches to her pocket of where where she Kept a, a, a dice of sugar. Uh huh. When when one one day when they were having tea, but uh, she she stole this, this this piece of tiny sugar because she thought it might be handy at some point. And I think I think I found I found it. I, I think it is it is the time she puts she puts the sugar in a way that can stand on on the rope uh on the part uh, that is covering her hands and uh trick the horse and come and have a little munch but including the rope that covers her hands excellent so no sooner has the ugly one finished tying your rope and turned his back. Anka furiously um, crumbles the sugar onto, onto the rope and um, turning around, this sees a horse that is clearly hungry and manages with a series of, of clicks and um, hey boys, coax the, the horse over to chew on the, the sugary rope to the point that you can make an escape. So just as um, your three captors are making their way into the, the hostel where they're checking in, um, you've managed to get yourself free and you are looking around the corner uh, you, you just caught a glimpse of the ugly one going into the host- hostel with his longbow slung over his shoulder. What do you do? Obviously, I'm going to get my longbow. All right. 
Anything else? And then I'm gonna steal the horse and dump the horse in the middle of the forest and uh, go and check out this this uh, thing that I saw on the flyer. It's at this point that you remember what you were told a few months ago, just before you went on the expedition that was so rudely interrupted by these ungodly flat earthers. So another member of your organization told you that if you were ever desperate to escape uh, from a dire situation, you could turn to the Crypt Diggers because there were both sympathizers and flat Taurus Earther believers amongst the Crypt Digger companies. All right, the Crypt Diggers. Is there any kind of information on the flyer where I can find them? You spot another one of these flyers um, blowing in the breeze that just conveniently happens to arrive at your feet. And you see the smaller text at the bottom of the flyer says, Join the company of Evermore. And reading the name Evermore, a further name occurs to you. The name Erewhon Tank a senior member of both the Bagel Believers and the Flat Taurus Earthers, that's the same people, and the Crypt Diggers, um, who happens to be a member of the arm of the Crypt Diggers known as the Company of Evermore. This seems like your chance. Oh, that's great. That's brilliant. So, to attempt to reclaim your possessions from the ugly one that you've just seen go into the hostel, roll a brawn check. So, you rolled an 8, and it will be 8 plus 2, so you've got a 10. You manage to overpower the ugly one uh, as you take him by surprise, grabbing your bow off him and managing in the same fluid motion to uh, grab the quiver off the other side. And just as all three members of this trio are shouting at you to, um, to stop and come back, you are out of the door, knowing that your only chance of escape is to leave your remaining possessions behind you with these, this horrible bunch. And so it is that you find yourself running and running through the woods just outside Dunkhurst, following the trail of posters leading you towards the Crypt Diggers. But the scene shifts. You can feel your three pursuers closing in on you. You can feel the darkness of the woods growing deeper, and the trees, they seem to be getting closer together. The path is getting thinner and harder to follow, and you're lost. You look around and you hear their voices and that horrible snoring. And as the panic begins to rise in your throat, you awake. It was just a nightmare. And it might have gone on for another five to ten minutes. But for the chime of a bell. 
Anchor awakes to the noises of the camp, which as yet are not so familiar to her. She scrambles out of her tent and shuffles over to the small campfire around which four of her campmates are eating a breakfast of leftover soup. Ah, Hark! Good morning, fair maiden. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, are you lost? Um, in a way, I guess. I don't know. Um, I was running away from the flat otters and then I found myself here. Like, Oh, please, please take my seat by the fire. Please warm yourself. Oh. Um, my name I... is Victor von Thorn. Uh, former knight of, uh, well, we need we needn't go into that. Um, but let's just but just just bear in mind I'm very chivalrous. Um, next to me is um, the great Caridon Gespenst, uh, nobleman, a nobleman. Um, yes. Would you like some soup? Oh, soup for breakfast? It's left over. The best kind of soup. <sighs> What kind of soup are we talking about? But it sounds a bit weird, like having soup for breakfast. We haven't quite identified uh, what's in it. I think I saw a carrot about 20 minutes ago, but it's uh, disappeared. Um, and these other two gentlemen, um, well, uh, I haven't actually had the pleasure yet. So, um, um, Erwan Tank, who is a sort of great... Uh, very tall man with sort of a scarred face and sort of long flaxen hair sort of stands up and says I'm Erwan you the bagel believer girl yeah what gave it away I was told to expect a, a new recruit to our to our cult yes um, I'm one of the bagel believers you know bagel? I was running away from the flat otters and uh, they kidnapped me and I managed to find a way to, way out uh i've run away but i don't know where i'm going what i'm doing i guess i should be quiet and just you know uh, my name is anka i left my surname i don't have a surname after i joined the bagel believers you don't need a surname when you're a member of the bagel bagel believers nor do you need a surname when you're a crypt digger how convenient. Anyone else rather hungry? Well, I believe a bagel would make this breakfast a lot better. <laughs> well, in fact, <laughs> as, we're, yeah. as we're welcoming a new a new member of the clan, uh, bagels for everyone. And he sort oh. of pulls open his coat and he's got a load of bagels <laughs> hanging on little hooks. And he sort of like <laughs> picks them up those? and frisbees them over to each member of the, each member of the group. Oh, thanks, old chap. And then lastly, um, the uh, uh, fourth man sitting around the fire uh, sort of stands up delicately. He's a sort of slender man in a sort of, uh, sort of purple um, sort of cloak who sort of bows his head slightly and says, And I am Stephen Depretus. I serve as consigliere for Geron's Star Wedge. Uh, so I'm sort of serve as her eyes and ears in the camp. And make sure that her will is done. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. So, uh, bagel, bagel belief. Uh, that's uh, not something. <clears throat> oh. A voice is loudly heard over your discussion, or rather, a sharp throat clearing, as Sir Arthur Estricar makes his presence known and says, 
Gentlemen, my lady, if you're almost done with breakfast, it's about time you got your marching orders for the day. Don't waste any time, these cryptics, do they? Hey, I haven't even started blessing my bagel and then start eating it. Just give me, give me at least five minutes. Arthur looks over at um, Stephen Depretis and raises one eyebrow and then turns to walk away. How does one bless a bagel? Well, first you pick up your bagel. Done. And kind of hold it to horizon and say, my bagel or bagel, and then you just start eating. Well, I never. You must break the bagel. After saying, oh, bagel, my bagel, you break the bagel. Exactly. Sorry. My bad. You know. That's no problem. Thinking around with flat it's been a while since I actually had some bagel. After little ado, uh, once the, the initial conversation dies down and everyone tucks hungrily into their bagel and soup, it falls to Stephen Depretis to uh, liven up the ranks and get them standing up straight before the tent of the leader of the camp, Garone Starwich. Once everyone is assembled, Stephen pokes his head through the tent flap and nods sharply before standing to attention outside. Moments later, the tent flaps are swept aside as, dressed in her impressive fur coat, Garone Starwedge exits and inspects the new recruits, whom up until now she's had as little to do with as possible. She goes over to whisper something in Sir Arthur Estricar's ears, which none of you managed to quite catch. And then she addresses the three new recruits, Erwan Tank and Stephen Depretus, all together. So, it's nice to see some fresh meat. But I've got some bad news for you, little fishes. The reason the fine company of Evermore finds itself here in this particular rather unexpected spectacular geographic location is that we've been sent on a wild goose hunt. Now, you may be more than dismayed to hear it, but I am not in the best likings of the higher-ups of the company, and so it falls to my arm to investigate the less likely-sounding claims. Now, in principle, we're here to investigate what amounts to nothing more than a myth. Once upon a time, there was a an artifact known as the Staff of Behemoth. Behemoth being an ancient wizard, great in size and power. Honestly, I'm, I've not seen any evidence that it was anything more than a, a children's story. But some of the alleged effects of this mythical artifact have been witnessed in these woods, and that's why we're here. Now, it so happens that we cryptiggers are opportunists, and so when we heard some more verifiable or actionable rumors in this particular area, we decided to take what reward we could get to act on them. It seems there are some strange wolves roaming about, and they need dealing with. The only problem being that these wolves haven't been behaving as one might expect wolves to. The usual anti-wolf strategies of the local farmers aren't working. Blah, blah, blah. Children going missing. There's something here anyway. So you four 
and Stephen, of course, you'll have to accompany them, are going to scout out the woods, see what you can find. What do you say? Sounds like a job for Victor von Thorne, I say. So we're looking for geese? I've uh, killed a few wolves in my time. Oh, so have I. What are we doing chasing after some measly wolves? Yes, I know you may think it's beneath you, Erwan, but I can see how restless you've been just sitting around here in camp with nothing to do. So rather than sending you back to pick up supplies with uh, Miranda and the others, I thought you could show these new recruits the basics of navigating the woods and whatnot. We shan't let you down, Miss Wedge. If these new recruits can't navigate woods and they can't kill a few wolves, then I don't know what I'm going to be able to do to help them. Now, Seems like you'll be here for moral support. I have wasted enough time instructing you in this matter, so I'll leave the remainder of the details to Arthur here, who has been fully debriefed. And I'll have you forgive me if I get right back to more pressing matters. And without waiting for your opinion or agreement, Garone Starwedge retreats back into her tent. Crikey. Leaving Arthur to once again clear his throat sharply before addressing you all. So, there are some less savoury details, which the fair Starwedge may have neglected to mention. Therefore falls to me to explain that there's some strange ectoplasm that's been collected and presented to us as part of the plea for help. And uh, two farmers are missing their children. So, you'll be travelling northwest of here, where some tracks have been spotted. Do you have any questions? What's ectoplasm? Uh, a kind of goo. It seems to be corrosive in nature, and uh, here, uh, he reaches into a, a satchel that he's wearing and pulls out a vial which is filled with uh, a kind of yellow fluid, which seems quite viscous and is faintly glowing. I think I ate some ectoplasm for breakfast, to be honest. Yummy. How are you inside, man? Corroded? I'll let you know in a few hours. Yes, do. Enough idle chit-chat. Do you have any questions? No, all clear, sir. Thank you. All right. Erwan, I trust you'll lead the way. And uh, Stephen, if you find any significant clues... Uh, please report back with the position of the party. What Garone wills will be done. Okay. Is there any preparation that you want to make before you leave on this mission? I don't have anything specific in mind. Uh, just anything you want to do before you leave the camp. Otherwise, you're basically going to leave the camp. We took our own weapons, didn't we? Uh, that's a good thing to establish. Yeah. So remind us what weapons each of you is carrying. Okay. Uh, Victor von Thorne clings to um, clings to a very fine spear that uh, he might have taken from his father's uh, armory mm -hmm. as a as a keepsake purely a kite shield to d defend his um, fine calves from attack. <laughs> yeah, uh, th those are his principal weapons. He's also got a crowbar for uh, you know less knightly less knightly fighting. Enough. More Gordon Freeman type. What's Caradon carrying? I don't entirely remember. I think he was carrying a, a light sword. Whoa, a light sword? <laughs> <laughs> cool, and what about Anchor? Crossbow. Crossbow, huh? Nice. I thought it was going to be a longbow. Well, that's the only fit to that name. I mean, come on. It was a longbow, then someone pissed it off. <laughs> <laughs> huh. 
<laughs> yeah, but which is it though? <laughs> so do you want it to actually be a crossbow? That's the one where you um, have to wind it up to load it. Or is it going to be a longbow where you, you carry arrows mm. in a quiver? Okay. I didn't actually think about this. A longbow, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go with that. Oh, cool. So the members of the party have prepared their weapons. And before the sun has risen above the tree line, the party of five makes their way into the woods. So I'd like you all to make... Uh, Wit checks okay. to determine how you do at tracking, at looking for clues in the woods. You'll have to add your modifiers yourself. The modifiers, the modifiers. Now then, I suppose you're sitting there thinking, what on earth is a wit check? And when do I get to listen to these feckless morons be torn limb from limb? Have patience. We'll get there. Our cryptogers have three most vital attributes, brawn, will, and wit, and at times during their adventures, these will be tested. It may sound to you like a couple of six-sided dice being rolled, with modifiers applied on top, but this is merely an auditory metaphor for more corporeal struggles. Ding dong. Bye-bye for now. Yeah, I got zero wit, so uh, I did not make that check. Okay, so the characters respectively rolled. Arowan got a nine plus zero. Is that right? That's right. Uh, Caradon rolled a five plus two. Two, yeah. Victor rolled a six plus zero. Mm-hmm. Anchor rolled a three plus two plus three. Um, I, I'm trying to remember my stats, but this is a bit check, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have, for the advancement, I have the plus three. Yeah, you chose extra wit. Unfortunately, that's still not enough to pass this check. Uh, and finally, Stephen Depretus rolled an eight plus two. So Stephen and Arowan clearly leading the way here. And they quickly come across some strange paw prints, which they're able to follow along with broken branches and other signs of movement, including some disturbing drag marks where it appears something has been, has been pulled through the undergrowth. Estrakar was right. These are no normal wolves. Make sure that. These paw prints, you see they're larger. They're sunk deeper than those of any normal wolf. Wolves are normally light. That is slightly concerning. Maybe it's just a fat wolf. I've seen many fat wolves in my time. (laughs) 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 You can tell a fat wolf's paw prints instantly. These are no fat wolves. Okay. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. Anchor and uh, Victor, roll observation checks. Is it 2d6? Observation check is just a flat 2d6, yes. Oh. Well, hey. I'm perceiving. All right. As Arowan is deeply focused on following the paw prints, and Stephen the Pretus is marking on his makeshift field map the course of these tracks, Victor notices a glowing lump in the undergrowth. Uh, 
chaps. Um, could this be uh, some of that ectoplasm that the, the boss mentioned earlier? I see something glowing. Is it gooey? Is it like a mucosa? It's a little ways off the path, so you, you can't immediately make out the nature of the thing. Might, uh, might be a nice little trail to the wolves. Why don't you go and have a look? Yes, yes. Uh, right on it, yeah. Victor goes over to take a closer look at this uh, blob. Bravely, bravely goes over to take a look. It's resting against the bottom of a tree, obscured by a fern. I'm going to poke it with my spear. No sooner does he move the fern aside than he sees that within this glowing blob of, well, it definitely is ectoplasm, is the severed remains of a human hand. Ah, right. Mm. <laughs> take a grip check. Good, I didn't uh, need too much purpose now. Do I need to take a grip check? Yes, please. Okay. It's the most measured response I've ever heard to seeing <laughs> a, a severed human hand. Well, in some ectoplasm. Oh my! <laughs> well, Victor was a knight. Like he's he's, he's seen thumbstep. He has he has Maybe. seen someone's hand chopped off before. Yeah, I might have done. I I probably chopped someone's hand off. It's just how Victor rolls. Speaking of rolls, what what do I need to roll? It's two d six plus your will. It is inevitable that any cryptogor worth their salt will witness horrors that will make them wish they had simply stayed at home. These will, eventually, take a toll on even the most hardened adventurer's grip on the taut fabric of reality. That, oh, pass that. That's 12. Wow. And wow. Uh, a, a retroactive justification of the non-plus uh, <laughs> reaction. Dodger didn't care. He's seen it all before. Yeah. I've chopped off many peasants' hands in my time. He inspects the hand to see if it's one he's chopped off previously. I yeah. need to give you so much a mark experience. For now, I'll keep track of it. But okay, you gain an experience. Uh, yeah, guys. Um, there's a. Well, I wouldn't have a look, but just take my word for it. There's a severed hand over there. I would not like the uh, the fear of those amongst you to uh, come to any uh, upset. You're telling me you've never seen a severed hand before? I've seen loads. You're going to see a lot more severed hands during your career in the Crypt Diggers. I've seen hundreds. <laughs> hundreds? I'll take your word for it. Oh, I think I've probably seen about seven. One of them might have been the same one twice. Okay, <laughs> that is true. Uh, so I think we're on the right track, suffice to say. Do wolves normally sever hands? Do wolves sever hands? Not normally. I guess a wolf can sever a hand, says Erewhan thoughtfully. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, you bite an arm hard enough and can, you can get through. Yeah, that guy in 127 hours did it with like a fork. And it only took him so. 100 or so hours. 127 hours. Is that that, is that, that play that toured around, yes. toured around the provinces a few it months ago? Very good, wasn't it? Yeah, It was a good one, yeah. I don't think he started cutting his hand off after 27 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Well, you would wait a while, right? That wouldn't be your. It wouldn't be your first. Wouldn't be your go-to. <laughs> That's my it, go-to. It might be now. Like if I got stuck, I might be like, "Well, that guy waited <laughs> hundred and twenty like six hours, and he That's nearly died." I'll, I'll, I'll do it in hour one. <laughs> Cut my hand off at any opportunity I get. <laughs> you reach the top of a ridge. You've been steadily climbing for the past half hour or so. And your search has been ongoing for an hour and a half. 
You're surprised at how quickly you found the trail and how easy it was to follow. But as you near the top of the ridge, it goes cold as the trees get sparser and the undergrowth a little less thick. Just as you go over the top of this ridge, you see a, a man who is staggering from side to side. You hear him cry out something not quite coherent. Come again. Hello there, drunken man. Hello, hello. Harold! Harold? Who's Harold? Victor! You seen Harold? Have you seen... Have you seen Harold? Uh, Who's Harold? What did his hands look like? <laughs> he, he had a, a shepherd's hands. He's, he's my son. He's a shepherd boy. Victor, do you... Was it a shepherd's hand? I, I, I'm not familiar with how a shepherd's hands are kept. I do my best not to look at shepherds. Bloody useless. A, a shepherd's hand would have, like, uh, smooth fingers. What do you mean? Why, why are you asking? <laughs> the whistling. Why are you asking if it was a shepherd's hand? What do you mean? Uh, I'm just really into hands. <laughs> yes, um, just no reason. Um, I, just... I don't understand. Have you seen Harold or not? Um, no, no. Not, not, not all of him, no. What does that... I've been out here all night. Oh, so I, I have some... I, I, will, uh, I, I have some potentially bad... How can one encompass what it means to be Harold and recognise it? He's all I have. We found his severed hand, sir. You can't tell him that. <laughs> I just did. What do you... You mean... Yes, sir. Uh, is, is Harold... Is Harold dead? No idea. His hand is. We can't really establish that, sir, because he won't tell us what his hand looks like. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, let's let's change that, uh, sir. Please, um, please sit down. What's your name? He he slumps down on, onto the ground on the slightly raised part of this ridge. My my name's Terrace. Terrace. That's what I said. Terrace, are you? Do you want a piece of bagel? I said some. Uh, yes. You look like you. Yes, I think I need it. I... There you go. I'm not sure I'm ever going to find Harold. So help you. When did you last see Harold, sir? Says Stephen. T- Terrace wolfs down this. <laughs> wolfs down. Gobble, gobbles up the small morsel of bagel that is offered to him by Anchor. And he says, Hi. I saw him. Yesterday morning, it must have been. Oh god, has it been that long? He was just going to tend to the sheep. It's, he's only been doing it on his own for a week. I, I thought I could trust him with the responsibility, but then, then yesterday afternoon, Maurice, she, Maurice came around and told me, told me about Mabel and, and how, how the wolves, there was these awful wolves that had taken Mabel and, I came out to try and find Harold to warn him, but the flock was, the, the sheep were there, two of them were covered in this yellow, this horrible substance, and mm. they could barely walk, and, and Harold was gone. Um, I'm sorry to hear of your troubles. Um, who are Maurice and Mabel? Are they, uh, are they other human beings? They live, they, they own the farm over, uh, well... Maurice does, and, and Mabel is, is her daughter. She's much stronger than, than Maurice or I ever were. She, she, 
If, if the wolves managed to overpower her, then uh, Harold didn't stand a chance. Oh, God. Poor Babel. So we shall, uh, we shall help you find, find these, these noble people. What's your name? My name is Victor Von Thorn. Okay, Victor. We are all, we are all members of the uh, Crypt Diggers, and we shall help you in your endeavour. The Crypt Diggers, that sounds familiar. The ones, the, the posters around town. That's the one? Yeah, I saw those when I went to the, when I went to the market, so... That's us. So Maurice really did come to try and try and convince you to, to look to look for Mabel. Well, and this hand that did you really find a, a hand? I, I did find a hand, but let's not jump to any conclusions. This is a busy forest, I'm sure. Could have belonged to anyone. Plenty of people have hands. <laughs> this is true. Please, uh, it's one of the few the few dangers that, that we shepherds face near woods like these. Woods that that carry secrets and angry gods we know that we haven't been following the, the rituals as as we used to where ever since the elder died we've we've been slacking and we knew that that sooner or later something like perhaps, this might uh, happen but perhaps you've been following the wrong faith what what do you mean and i uh, i don't think now's the time uh, i believe now is certainly the time chap this man has been praying to false gods has he not anchor yeah yes exactly you took the words from my mouth. Exactly. May I ask you, sir, what dimensions do you think the Earth possesses? <laughs> Look, Tank, I don't think this is very relevant right now. I think... Uh... No, it is, it is very relevant. He's seeking for, like, Ugh. higher... I have a song of these godly types. I don't, un- I don't understand. What, is, what does this have to do with Kozul and, and Diana? What... Listen, we can discuss all of these uh, this, these philosophical implications later, after we find these people who are who could be. Hey, I'm need talking help. about the truth, Victor. Don't diminish me. It's this is the truth. It's it's bagel. It's about more than just the bagels. It's about it's about the earth, the earth that we live we on. We can discuss bagels and whatnot after we find this man's son. Listen, this uh, it all sounds very. Very noble, but all I really want right now is some some closure. I just want to know what happened to Harold and come along with me then. If if I dare hope that he might still be here alive. I'm gonna help you. And Terrace's voice trails off as Victor uh, puts an arm under his shoulder and, and lifts him up. Can I ask what the what, what the plan is? Are you go, are you going to take Terrace with you? Yeah, I think we should take him to the hand. Yeah, so you can identify. I don't. I'm not sure you can identify someone from a hand. But... I mean, you can identify the age. Yeah. Surely we are, we can already identify the age. Like I reckon I could. If you said this could be your, you know, your your son's hand, and then you could immediately tell. Do you know the back of my hand like the back of yours? <laughs> but you're not. You're not my son, Jamie. Says here. Yeah, it says me. Do we need to do a paternity test? To... Dun, dun, we could, dun, we dun, could dun, just dun, take dun, fingerprints. It'll be a very exciting <laughs> first episode of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you to check if I'm related. Oh, dear. Um, okay, so you're going you're gonna to go back the way you came away. This was about 20 minutes ago that you found the hand. I should also note that you weren't able to pick the hand up. Well, you didn't mention that you 
would have tried because that would have had some consequences if you tried to actually pick the hand up and take it with you. Um, I didn't even look at the hand. Yeah. Uh, I think we should ask him which direction his son walked in. So Caradin grabs the map and uh, showing it to Terrace is, uh, oh, where on the map uh, is your sheep? Which which direction did he uh, head in? Uh, well, oh, uh, this map's. Uh, let me just. And he he looks up around and and checks the position of the sun. Um, and checks the some some trees and some of the foliage on the ground and uh, licks his finger and holds it up to the air. To feel the wind, and he says, "Okay, um, yes, this map isn't isn't quite right. You see, just up here, the forest ends like this." And he traces a finger on the map where there's currently it's forest all the way across, but he he points out where the the boundary of the forest would be, and then he says, "Oh no, no, sorry, the the scale's not quite right." Uh, it's just here, and beyond that, there are well, they're not fields exactly. It's more like large, large clearings, and we have marked paths through the other the other end, the other end of the woods. And so it's it's here, and he's pointing over, more or less due east of of where you are. And uh, well, the the sheep also graze on some of the. Uh, some of the forest grasses you see the the long the long thick ones that grow around the bases of, of trees in this in this you see you see um and for a brief moment you see that this shepherd is distracted by the details and practices of of his trade and daily routine um before a wave of grief and worry flows over his face once more and he says, "This this trail that you've that you've marked it's, runs close to here. No, if you're after the wolves, that that means they were." Uh, hey there, hey there. Get yourself together, man. There's a you have a job to do to find your son. I'm not sure I can do this with you. That the two injured sheep are still are still there. I, I I left them behind in in my haste to look for Harold. And I, uh, you stay oh, here. Gosh. If uh, if Harold is still alive, we will find him. Arden's right. Are you are you going to be all right on uh, on your own here? Yeah. I know this. I know these woods. I've I've been exploring them ever since I was ever since I was Harold's age. Uh, I'll be okay. Uh, please, if you can, even it, even if he's gone, if if you could bring him back to me. We will endeavour to do so, sir. 
You have and my word as a former knight. The last of his strength barely trickling to keep him moving forwards. Uh, he hobbles down the hill, um, almost falling over on a few occasions, heading east towards where, uh, according to Stephen's map, the, his field and sheep lie. Mm-hmm. I thought that's the way we were going to head because that's where Harold would have been. It's going to be awkward if we if we did that big goodbye and then we head in the same direction. Just like in real life, we just hang back. I do not wish to be callous, gentlemen, but our mission here is to investigate the source of these disorders and put a stop to it. It is not necessarily to pursue every every lost child or injured sheep the local peasantry bring to us true enough true enough but um if the sun's alive he'll be with the wolves exactly and if he's not we'll probably never see the sky again that might be do you think he would want his son's hand back is that something because he just say bring him back to me and if that's all there is left um it once had that there would be some consequences you think be... If we try to take the hand. Maybe, yeah. It is uh, covered in corrosive uh, ectoplasm. Ectoplasma, exactly. Okay, let's uh, leave the hand. Leave the hand. It's probably a bit in poor taste anyway. And it's just too violent for a dad to like, keep, keep the... only the hand. Okay, onwards then, following the wolves. And if you find the sun, so much the better. Onwards. Well, okay, which way are you going? Are you going to carry on north and, and hope that the trail picks up in that direction? Or are you going to head east uh, to get some more clues from this? From this? Well, if we're, standing uh, on a, if we're standing on a ridge, may Erewhon take an observation check? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Wow, it's a 12. You see everything. So as the conversation has been going on, Erewhon has been scanning the horizon with eagle eyes or scanning the countryside with eagle eyes at a tracker's instinct. And what he's spotted are more of these um, unnatural footprints. But as he's approached to see in which direction these these footprints uh, have been proceeding, uh, he spots some matted black fur caught in uh, a splinter of bark on a nearby tree. And it's clear that when the wolves passed passed through this area, there was something struggling, uh, struggling against them. There are grooves and, and ruts, and even possibly some finger or boot prints in, the, in a couple of places. Uh, in a, a dip here where previously there had been a puddle and so the mud was very soft. And it's clear that a wolf was shoved against a tree here. But beyond the signs of that struggle, uh, there are no signs of life remaining here. Erwan, um sort of investigating the scene, takes his cigar, which he has clamp- clamped in his mouth, and which is lit, and he uses it to light the hair 
that was caught on the bark. All right. Um, it quickly lights up and begins to fizzle. Um, but as soon as it gets halfway down, it arrives at a point where the, the fur is more matted and uh, a pungent smell, uh, even more pungent than the ordinary smell of burning hair, rises. And um, this kind of waxy slime completely liquefies and begins trickling down uh, the bark of the tree and immediately begins to kind of bubble uh, on, on the tree surface. And uh, the bark is, it, in mere moments, corroded away by this hot slime uh, before none of the heated section is, is left and a small clump of matted fur remains still stuck to this tree. Oh, what's that smell? Everyone sort of turns to the party and says, no, I ain't, I ain't a man of science, but I think that shows that the ectoplasm is to do with the wolves. Because that fur clearly produced the same effect right. as, the, as the corrosive ectoplasm. How are these, uh, how are these wolves getting, not getting dissolved by their own... Well, the gunk. Make his belief. Well, how does a how does a snake not get poisoned by its own venom? Uh, they're they're in glands, I think. I think it's in glands. Remember from my. Well, I suppose these wolves will have glands as well. Ectoplasm glands. Wow! If we get get our hands on some of that, we'd uh, well, be a fine weapon. The mages would certainly thank us for that. Yeah, thank us handsomely. It, I should think so. It takes you're only... thinking like a crypt digger now. <laughs> <laughs> now you're thinking with crypt. <laughs> <laughs> um, it takes Arawan only a few more cursory glances left and right to determine that this trail indeed continues to the north. Um, but moreover, that it joins a trail that came here from the the east. Further evidence that uh, Harold may have come this way and perhaps been apprehended by these wolves. As you proceed to the north, uh, the sun is getting higher in the sky, uh, but the trees, the tree cover is getting thicker and thicker. Uh, the distance between trees is getting smaller and you're having to wade through piles of dead and rotting leaves as you follow this trail. Obviously, these dead and rotting leaves make it quite easy to, to follow the trail since it seems to have been made or remade, well, very recently. About an hour down this trail later, uh, the signs of struggling have long since ceased, although there is still clear signs that something or someone has been dragged through this forest. And you come across a cave entrance. Well, it's, it's less of a cave and more like a, the entrance to a tunnel that, that heads underground. Um, 
the forest gives way to a large outcropping of rock. And just where the soil uh, meets this rock, it sinks down uh, to create an opening, which, you know, is, is relatively large, um, but protected by an overhang of rock a little bit further down. Uh, can I get Caradon and... Uh, you know what? Caradon, Victor, and Anchor to do observation checks. Oh, I'm sharp today. 11, 11 and a Pretty light for us. Good lord. Yeah. Um, I, I expected the thicker tree cover to make it more difficult, but I suppose this, this is a sound rather than something that you've seen. Um, you can hear water flowing uh, not too much further on. That is, beyond the entrance, perhaps behind this rocky outcropping, uh, you can hear a, a stream burbling away. Anyone else need to pee? Is that just me? Don't say just things in front of the lady, sir. You also see that these footprints head down into the cave, although they stop as soon as the soil gives way to rock. It's at this point that uh, Stephen, assessing the situation, decides it's about time to report back to the Crypt Digger camp. Oh, well, gentlemen, I shall bid you adieu for now. I will. I'm head to report back to Garone. Um, my observations of our journey so far. But you will see more of me if you survive. Oh, are we to head down oh, now? Everyone seems very keen on this idea, thinking it uh, a rather trivial mission in the grand scheme of things. A couple of wolves. No big deal, even if they are corrosive wolves. I've dealt with corrosive things in my life. I've dealt with wolves in my life. I don't think corrosive wolves will be too much different. Hey, world, world's wary man, aren't you, sir? What corrosive things have you dealt with? Dealt with corrosive bats. <laughs> corrosive bats? <laughs> 15, 15 years ago. I'm sure the experience is transferable. <laughs> well, bless my bagel. Well, well, no, it's not I mean, it's, you deal with the corrosive bats in a different sort of way. You have to make a, a sort of a steel net, like a steel like tennis racket sort of thing that you use to whack them. What's it, a tennis racket? What's that? Yes. You never heard of the game of tennis? I'm sure our night friend here will have played some tennis. I've, uh, yeah, I've uh, whacked a few balls in my time. Oh, I'm sure you have. <laughs> well, then you'd make an excellent combatant against the plague of uh, acidic bats oh, well. that I had to deal with 15 years ago. That's, uh, that's very heartening to hear. It's only down there. Okay, I trust that we can deal with this. This man clearly knows his corrosive animals. Yes, well, uh, you lead on, Mr. Tank, and I should... Uh... I know my corrosive animals, and I have faith in Taurus Earth, the Great Bagel. Right. Great Bagel. Well, right. um... See you later, Stephen. And he, sort of, he takes a... He's got a kind of a metal bagel that he has around his neck on a necklace, and he gives it a... kisses it quickly. How exactly does um, this, this, this Bagel Earth... Uh protect you 
against that. Uh, hey, Bagel always protects you. Bagel protects the faithful. It's just, it's just, it's just a landform you're standing on. The reason why you're now falling from the earth, from the edge, is because it's, it's, it's a bagel. Is it really? Well, it is. Gosh, I'm, I'm learning a lot already. Uh, part of this company. As you make your way into the cave, uh, idly chatting about the nature and shape of the earth as you go, and Stephen Depretus disappears behind you. And you see that this cave, while it may have been originally a, a natural formation, uh, now bears many markings of its inhabitants. The walls carry a kind of yellow sheen. Not that they're covered in this ectoplasm, but that it seems to have spread over the surface, tainting the whole place and making the walls unnaturally smooth, considering uh, their rocky formation. The tunnel proceeds for about uh, 100 feet, and you're steadily going down um, as you enter it. And your eyes immediately adjust to this yellowish gloom. The walls don't glow exactly. It's more like there's a source of this sickly light deeper in the cave that these walls very effectively reflect. And within a few minutes, you've arrived at a, um, a fork in the tunnel. To the, well, it's a, it's a three-way fork. The leftmost uh, and middle path seem to exit into a, a large chamber where this glow seems to be originating from. And further to the right, there is a, a tunnel where the light seems to, seems to decrease um, with darkness further ahead. Hey, I don't want to choose immediately. Um, so Anka picks up a piece of rock from the ground and throws it uh, as far as she can towards the path where, where we see the, the yellow glue. Well, Anka goes to do that and then notices that there aren't any obvious small rocks. Not only are the walls of this cave are very smooth, um, but the floor also seems to be devoid of any debris. Um, there's, there's nothing here. There's the same kind of glistening, uh, smooth look, although it wasn't so smooth as to be slippery and difficult to walk on. Yeah. Uh, caves and crypts normally like this, uh, Mr. Tank? I can't say they are. This doesn't look like an entirely natural cave. Are you saying this cave is not a natural formation? Not like one I've ever seen. Gosh. Is Anka going to throw something else instead? Well, what, what we, we heard some... 
a water flow or something like I I remember hearing. Yes, can we? Yeah, if, all right. If we're all quiet. Uh, Anchor, do a, a another observation check. Sure. All right, it's bad. <laughs> she got a three. Um, Maybe I could use my uh, torch. It would help. Maybe I can see some. Yeah, all right. So the the dim glowing light not providing um, enough stimulus to be able to find anything small within the cave to throw, uh, Anka decides to light her torch. Um, and no sooner does she do this than there, that smell from earlier, that sulfurous stench, um, immediately fills the air as the wall above you is, is heated up. Um, and within a few seconds of you lighting this torch, uh, a, a small drop falls from the ceiling ab above you and uh, take a wit check. This doesn't seem like a great idea. Uh, especially with uh, several novices. Plus three. All right, it's, it's 11 nice. plus three, it's a 14, pretty good. She um, nimbly sidesteps out of the way as this drip hits the ground and there's that, that fizzing corrosion um, where the, this heated fluid uh, has had its corrosive properties accelerated and a, a, a tiny marble-sized dent it's formed in the floor where, where Anka was just standing. Um, right. Put that light out. <laughs> uh, uh, Victor raises his kite shield above his head uh, and allows uh, Anka to go underneath it. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm just being chivalrous. <laughs> Can we at least put out the torch first? Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh boy. Are you going to do it? I'm not liking this, but sure. Why? Right. Um, no sooner has she lit it than she is convinced by um, Caradon to stamp out the torch before an another fizzing drip falls from the ceiling uh, w where she had it outstretched. What now? Um, can, we hear the, can we hear the stream still? Do you hear the people sing? Sing the no, songs of Angry Men? No, it's the stream. <laughs> uh, you can't hear the stream. Okay. There is a kind of um, glugging, like bubbling noise periodically, um, but it doesn't sound like the stream that you heard outside at any rate. Okay. Um, is it possible that... Uh, oh, I, I should, uh, sorry, I should mention that glugging noise is coming from the, the larger chamber uh, where, where the light is coming from on the left and middle forks. Okay, I was going to ask that. I suggest I uh my instinct would be to head towards the light. Uh 
I've always been told not to go into the light. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, curious philosophy. Into the dark, then. Well, if if we if if Otis Taurus, if Otis a bagel, at the end we're gonna end up at the same place. So, doesn't matter if we if we go left or right or. Well, I'm assuming it's quite a big bagel. What? I have to say, my experience as a crypto guy overrides my faith in the bagel at this particular point. I think it will make a significant difference which direction we take. Um, Mr. Tang. But the bagel can help us out in another respect. And uh, Arwan takes a bagel from inside his coat on one of the, from one of the hooks and rolls it down the uh, uh, left passage towards the light. All right. Um, no sooner does it, it reach the the mouth of that passage, then it abruptly falls out of view. And you hear moments later, well, less than a moment later, I guess, half a second later, uh, it thunking to the ground, followed by a light splash as it falls onto its side in what must be a, a shallow puddle. From this information, you gather that uh, there is a short drop below the the exit of this the of this left hand um fork i had got of that yes right uh that doesn't sound promising what does that tell us about where to go possibly that way and your experience as a crypt digger a drop's good a wet bagels can't be good drops can be good it tells you you're getting closer to the closer to the the core, if you want to cut right to it, get into the heart of darkness, that's what you do. Are you ready to enter the heart of darkness? A second later, you hear some creature padding over and investigating this dropped snack. And then you hear a... You, you hear the sound of a creature licking its lips and a biting and swallowing sound, and then a sniffing, as if it's sniffing up the wall, and then it gives up and pads away. Well, that was uh, a bit close for comfort. I suggest we get moving before, uh, before we discovered. Right, then not that direction then. Yeah. Which are the other which are the other passages do we go for? The light or the darkness? Well, I think the wolves were light, so is it less likely to be wolves in the dark? Well, we're here to deal with the wolves, aren't we? Yeah, but I don't want them to address this. Take I, them head on. I don't want them discovering the us. I'd rather be able to get them one on one. I don't wanna the whole pack to get the drop on us when we could uh, pick them off one well, at a time. Well, we just discovered one thing. These wolves like bagels. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, lo everyone loves bagels. 
Um, so just to give you a, a clearer picture of this, because it, it might help in your, your in your decision making. Um, there are two entrances ahead of you, three entrances rather. Uh, the the right hand is a, a tunnel that leads into a, a darker area. Um, the left hand one and right hand one is kind of obvious that they lead into the same larger area, and you suspect that from the middle one, um, which opens out a little bit more, um, you would there must similarly be a drop into the room, and um, as well, would anyone uh, would anyone be brave enough to go a little bit closer to try and get a, a bit of a, a bit more of a visual sense of the situation? Of course. So sure. Victor takes a, a few paces forwards and sees that uh, this central pathway um, consists of a, a ledge which has a clear line of sight out over this, this larger chamber. Um, and from where you're standing, without going out onto that ledge, uh, you can just about see the, the, the rump of some large creature uh, in, in the chamber. Uh, but you can also see that beyond this ledge, the cave continues, um, again, heading more into darkness. That's not entirely illuminating, but uh, I do have a torch. Oh no, but we've just established that lighting a torch is causes corrosive drips on our heads. Um, I also have a torch, but I I have a mirror. Somehow, can we use it? Uh, sure. Roll a wit check. Okay, six plus three. Um, okay, so you, you take your mirror and look around the corner and see in this large chamber, which is lower than the entrance which you've come in through, uh, no fewer than four wolves, uh, one of which is awake, but the other three seem to be resting. Um, and this this last one, having chowed down on a bagel uh, is also looking lethargic. Uh, mm. so Beyond the, the chamber, you can just about make out what seems to be uh, the source of this, of this glowing, um, which is a, a pool of this corrosive substance, or at least from your position, uh, you can, all you can see is a pool. Uh, but there seems to be more light coming from beyond. Um, you also, having inched out into this uh, onto this ledge, in order to get a, a better view of the mirror, uh, you see that indeed the the tunnel. There's a, there's a tunnel beyond the ledge, which initially leads into darkness, but there is just a hint of a glow further on, which means that uh, you suspect if you followed it, you wouldn't end up in complete darkness without um, recourse for a light source. Sounds like a song or something. Um, it's the name of my first album. Recourse for a light source. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 
that's what you always need as a backup when you're making pasta. I took a lemon to a knife. <laughs> Um, All right, okay. give me give me one more decisive action that we can. That I, can I don't use. think I, do, I I know what decisive. I don't think we should take the pen on. I think we should go to this other slightly dimly lit room. Um, wait. Yeah, wait until like they separate or something, or they're all asleep, and then we can attack at once. Let's. I I, I say we go to we follow this dimmer light source. Um. All right. Victor inches out across this ledge. It's it's not a, a really narrow ledge. You can you can just walk across it. Um, but presumably you're you're trying to avoid getting the attention of the of the one still conscious wolf. So um, what are you what are you doing in order to not attra attract attention? Um, taking witch checks probably. Yeah. But um... <laughs> taking witch checks, I am. Um... Uh, I suppose we are tiptoeing and generally. Taking this extremely slowly and delicately. This isn't okay. Victor's, uh, you know, specialist subject. Creeping. No, right. Well, it's a good thing he's going first then, huh? Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! Ooh, we'll do it. So Victor got a six. Uh, Erwan got a five. Caradon got a eight, a nine, a nine, and Anchor got a ten. Well. Uh, all right, so it's made redundant by the fact that uh, <laughs> everyone else got spied. <laughs> so actually, Keridan and and Anchor choose the the the, the fast route, um, trying to get across to cross this gap as quickly as possible, uh, while uh, Victor and and Erwan decide that it's it's better to crawl and try and stay out of sight. But the result is that they are a little bit too noisy. And while they don't immediately wake the, the three sleeping wolves, uh, the one that's just had a snack uh, raises its head and sniffs the air and uh, pads over to, um, to where you two are. Uh, and it starts scrabbling at the, at the wall just below the, the ledge where you are. And it's, it's letting out what in a dog you might describe as, as a whine but there's this harmony to it. It's kind of whining uh, a, a chord, and it's a fortified wine. Mm. Very nice. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's whining it, it, with, with this two clashing notes, um, and you can't help but look down over this ledge it's clearly seen you um and you see for the first time the grotesque form of this wolf the wolf's muzzle is longer than any wolf you've ever seen and with its its lips pulled back in this whine that has the undertones of a growl just beginning as the wolf draws its lips back, you see that its teeth are the same yellow color as the slime that coats the walls and is forming these corrosive pools at the back. And you see its eyes veined with red, but the same yellow, 
seeing you clearly, but milky, almost translucent. The fur is black and matted. The paws, large, heavy set. The shoulders powerful. As it winds, you can see this creature breathing. And it seems to be breathing too slowly and too heavily. Its ribcage expanding and contracting like bellows. And as you lock eyes with it, this discordant whine reaches a crescendo and it opens its jaws and out flies a glob of glowing corrosive goo. for listening to Abel Chimes. You can find us at abelchimes.com. You can email us at achimingbell at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at abelchimes.com.